in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Giants finally fired Joe hey, Judge. Hey, those sneaks kill you. Took him a few days. Um, 48 hours since the quarterback sneak on third and nine from his own four-yard line. Joe Judge was 10-23 and 23 in two seasons as the Giants head coach. This also came a day after Dave Gettleman retired. So if you're the Giants, you're going to have a new head coach, you're going to have a new general manager. I assume Daniel Jones is most likely well, done in New York. Let me ask you this. Is he fired if there wasn't the kind of firestorm over the sneak? Because that made so so many people talked about that and just ripped him for it. Did management say, why didn't we fire this guy? And we didn't even realize he did that. I mean, so, it's the Giants. They might not even have known he did that. There was the report with three weeks left in the season that Joe Judge was coming back for next yes. year. That Dave Gettleman was the one on the hot seat. But Joe Judge was going to get another shot. And then the Giants ended the season in one of the funniest ways possible. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. Like, was that how much did that have to do with it? I mean, you I mean, they, if he's on the hook at all, that kind of pushed them over the right. edge. They should have, you know, known before the quarterback sneaks that Joe Judge was not going to get it done. Like, it was pretty clear to everybody Joe Judge is not. That was not going to work. Like, bring him back next year. Great. You're not going to make the playoffs and you're going to fire him after that year. But I think the quarterback sneaks, they probably did. They, you're, you're probably right that it probably pushed it over the edge for Joe Judge. That maybe he's still the head coach and gets another year if he doesn't have those two quarterback sneaks, but because there was such an outcry to one of the worst play calling decisions you've ever seen, it probably pushed them over the edge. If you're a GM or a head coach going into New York, the New York job, you don't want anything to do with Daniel Jones. Right? Well, what's the alternative draft somebody? I don't know if you can trade for who, who, who wants to play It'd be better, right? If you draft somebody, I mean, even if the guy sucks, at least you got a little bit more hope yeah. and you can see if he's any good. It's not Daniel Jones fault. They're calling sneaks. Do you, well, I guess my question is, do you hire the GM first and then the GM hires the coach and goes, hey, we're going to get you a new quarterback. Don't you worry. Or do you hire the coach like, hey, you're going to have to fix Daniel Jones and we'll get you a GM to get you some pieces. <sighs> if you if you Thank are you. pitching a coach on fixing Daniel Jones, yeah. you're not getting a coach. I think you hire the GM first. It depends on what coach you hire. Mm. Most likely you hire the GM first. But, you know, if you go get Jim Harbaugh, you're probably hey, wait a minute. First. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Don't give our here. guy away. Here. Come sorry. on. Sorry. Come on. I do not understand why you guys want Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> Who do you want? Nathaniel Hackett? Lane Kiffin. Oh. I have been on this Lane Kiffin. <laughs> no one else is coming for him. Let's go get it. Man, you know, that's a great question. Texas Tech beat number one Baylor 65 to 62 yesterday at Baylor. There are no more undefeated teams in college basketball. USC also lost yesterday, uh, yeah, but Baylor Stanford. goes down. Oh, wait, you're you trying to change the subject to a different no, team. No, 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 no one. No one was going undefeated. No Why one. not? Gonzaga because almost did think, it. I don't think there is a Gonzaga this year. I think like a lot of teams can win it. So. They weren't going to go undefeated. Surprise! It was at home because it was twenty-one straight at home. So that was a bit of a surprise. But uh, yeah, Texas Tech. Chris Beard. Do you need him? Nope, not at all. No, you don't need Chris. Get Beard. rid of him, and you'll beat the number one team in the country. There, I will say this: there has got to be a even if Baylor had won yesterday, a like 
0.001% chance they would have actually gone undefeated. Oh, yeah. Because of no how chance. good the Big 12 is. Uh, the Big 12 is just crazy yeah. good. So, like, I, I have a very hard time believing no. that they had any shot at going undefeated. Um, I mean, hell, Ken Palm has them 14 and 4 the rest of the way. Yeah. And this is, and they're the number one team in Ken Palm. Yeah. So, like, yeah, the Big 12 is pretty ridiculous this year where it's not going to be that crazy if the Big 12 gets what? Seven, eight teams in? Oh, well, look at, we were talking about TJ Osselberger. I think they're, what are they, one and two, one and three in conference now? They almost beat Kansas last night, yeah. Iowa State. And he's ranked, what, top 15? Yeah. They're, and that's all so you need to know. They have eight teams in the top 50 of Ken yeah. Palm. Seven of those are in the top 40, which is, generally speaking, you're getting in the NCAA tournament yeah. when you're top 40. So TCU's 64th and Kansas State's 70th, and those are the worst two teams in the conference. <laughs> That'd be like teams number two and three in the Mountain, in the Mountain West. West. <laughs> be Carter State, San Diego State, and then someone at like 76. I'm out. The Grizzlies beat the Warriors 116-108 last night. John Moran at 29 points. Steph Curry only shot 8 of 21, 2 of 9 from 3. But the Grizzlies have now won 10 in a row. How good are these guys? They're tied for third in the West. They're three and a half games back of the Warriors right now. I mean, how good do you think these guys really are? The other night, I thought they'd lose because they were back-to-back. I think they're back-to-back Clippers-Lakers. And then they win both, and then they go and beat the Warriors? I mean, are we sure John Morant needs someone else? I think they're just on a hot streak. Like, I think this is very much like Cincinnati Bengals to end the season where it's a good team but not a great team. But when they play at their best, they are a great team. Uh, The Warriors are going to run into some struggles, I would assume, here. But... They're probably going to be like in that 4-5 matchup in the West. And if they win that, they'll probably get the Warriors in the second round of the playoffs. And I'm ready for that series. Like, I know I'm fast-forwarding to a random second-round Western Conference series. But I'll I'll be all in to watch the Warriors and the Grizzlies, to watch John Morant try to beat Steph Curry and the Warriors. That will be a really fun series because this team is – they're playing really, really well right now. Like, really well to a point where, like, John Morant obviously is the star there. But we're talking about guys like Desmond Bain. Right. is playing terrific. Right. And it's like, oh, who's Desmond Bain? Oh, okay. Right. All right. Go win some NBA games with Desmond Bain. Like, it's it's a fun story. And John Morant, he's a ton of fun to watch. I don't know if they're actually going to be this good, though. You know, playoff time, actually make a run to an NBA championship. That's crafty wording right there. I give <laughs> you credit. Get excited about recruiting rankings, Ed. Five-star point guard Kylan Boswell has UNLV in his final eight. It's Arizona, Illinois, Kansas, Michigan, Oregon, Texas Tech, USC, and UNLV. I mean, you see, you say down here, I, they need to get a visit out of them. So that was the funny part visit. here. Um, so on three, uh, talk to Kylan Boswell. And you know how the recruiting sites, they do like, they talk to a player and they just get like, hey, what do you think about Arizona? What do you think about Illinois? And they just type up the two sentences the player says about each school. He only did it for four schools, and UNLV was not one of the four. Okay. And then he has visits planned to other schools, and then at the bottom it said, eh, he might go visit UNLV and one other school too. So it's like UNLV's in the final eight, but, like, he hasn't visited, and we didn't get our fun little two sentences about how the coaching staff feels like family. So (laughs) There's so much family bopping around these places. So, like, they're in the final eight, but I don't know how seriously they're in the final eight. So we'll see. And, by the way, he's class. 2023. Okay. So this is not. Uh, he's 
a while. Yeah. yeah. So he's this is while, yeah. he's not he would not be signing and then playing for UNLV next year. Right. It would be, be the, year, the year after. So still some time for UNLV to get a visit in and see if Kylan Boswell can be a rebel. What do you think? Frank Reich will not commit to Carson Wentz as his quarterback in 2022. He was asked if Wentz would be a starter in 2022. And he said, next year's roster will be next year's roster. I don't want to open it up about one player and then start talking about all of them. I mean, did you see? You did. You saw Carson Wentz at the end of the year. (laughs) Terrible. It's bad. He's really bad. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him as the 23rd ranked quarterback this year. Um, if you're the Colts, good defensively this year. Not great, but good defensively. Obviously, they were the most effective rushing team in the NFL all season. But they have Carson Wentz. Like, what are you doing quarterback-wise if you're the Colts? Because... You're trading him to the Giants. No, you trade for Derek Carr. <laughs> Carr's not going anywhere. I No, I'm, if I'm the Colts, I'm calling the Raiders and being like, what do you want for Derek Carr? Because Derek Carr could win could win with that situation. Not a Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, he's just happy to make it to the playoffs. I know. But if you're the Colts, you're not trading away seven first-round picks. Job isn't to... done for the Colts. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Job's, it, he's the job is done. It's done this season, but he's it's not done in the future. He's accomplished all he can as a Raider. Let's let him grow. <laughs> I just, I'm, I don't know what you do if you're the Colts, because you contractually are committed to Carson Wentz. So it's not it's gonna be hard for them to bring on another quarterback salary right. next year. So I don't know what you do if you're that organization because they I mean, they're one of the teams, like them in Denver, right? If you gave a above average quarterback, if you gave Denver or Indy Derek Carr, those are those are really good teams. Like those are teams that you just give them competent quarterback play and they're gonna be good, but neither one does. Fortunately for Denver, they don't have a massive contract like Wentz does holding them down drew locks on his rookie deal and what did they give teddy bridgewater not that much but no so i don't know what you do if you're the colts because you are in a window of hey you could be really good and their division sucks so but you got wins there and he kind of ruins everything yeah great question yeah again great question all right here you go jared from brad at pro football focus there has been consistent chatter from many corners of football circles about Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin and the Minnesota Vikings job. Oh, no. He doesn't fit with their culture. <laughs> he fits with the Raiders' culture. We've seen him do it. He did not fit when he was here, though. What are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> he didn't fit. Did this, is fit. A, this is a like this is a very cantankerous organization. You need a guy that isn't that's gonna fit in by not fitting in. Uh, you want him to leave? No, no, of course not. Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin fits at Ole Miss. If you want to know where Lane Kiffin fits? Lane Kiffin fits at fringe Power Five college football job that can't win the national championship. Yes, that's ten wins is like everybody's excited when you win ten. That is where Lane Kiffin. I fits. just want all I want is for us to find after a year of him coaching the Raiders for us to find his Tinder account and him to like have described himself on there as like alpha male looking for i'm sure he has one you don't, have, you don't have to wait for him to be the coach at the raiders to go find him on tender i know but i just want i i, I feel like that's it, it's a better story if he's the coach of the raiders and he's just running through the strip there was a rumor he was sleeping with an Ole Miss cheerleader at one point and then Lane Kiffin went on Twitter and joked about it himself, <laughs> which is great. I love that guy. Coming up next, 
Mike Tomlin. He didn't even watch the end of the Raiders and Chargers. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Coming up a little later in the show, we have tickets to go see Tool. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Ed, do you believe Mike Tomlin when he says he dozed off? Absolutely. You do? Yes. He fell asleep. So his... When they're up 15? His season... Yes. Depends on the outcome of Raiders, Chargers. And he fell asleep... Yeah. ...before the game ended. Said he assumed they were up by 15, they'd win the game. I totally believe that. Absolutely. Real. Of course. No question. There's no question he fell asleep. None. Because... What would be the purpose of saying that? Like, why would you admit to that? When the Dodgers are up by six, do you fall asleep? Sure. You do? Sure. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. All right, just when go to bed. When they're play in a playoff fall. game. Dodgers up by six no. in the eighth. No. Not in a playoff game. Okay. So I'm unlike That's Mike what Tomlin, this though. is. Yeah, this is effectively- I'm not Mike Tomlin. So, I, uh, you know, I mean, if maybe he maybe he's tired. He said he had a work day ahead of him. He knew he was going like, to He knew they were going to play. You remember the Derek Carr quote where he was like, I I shouldn't have watched the the Indy game or okay. the Pittsburgh game, right? And he but he was like, I watched him and I was a nervous I was nervous during the whole thing. That's Derek Carr. <laughs> I know, but that's normal. Well, that doesn't mean yeah, Mike Tomlin might be abnormal, but I still believe it. Up 15, he probably thinks this thing's over. There's no way they're going to lose this. You don't go to sleep. You think it's Uh, over. I get the feeling Mike Tomlin is like, 8.30, time for my cookies and milk, and then I go to bed by 9. But the one time a year when a completely different game determines whether or not you're going to play again... He's I gonna think you make so an exception to he's the gonna wake up. Rule. He's going to wake up at 4.45 in the morning, get his lift in, and then he's going to check his phone, and he's going to go, yep, we're playing, oh time God. to go to work. So he that will... game lasted about four hours, right? Yeah. Okay. Starts at 8, started at 8.20, 8, 8, 8.20 his time, 9, 10, 11, 20. Oh, I could definitely see him dozing off. Absolutely. It was but almost like, midnight. Mike Tomlin's not going to, like, his office job and sitting in a cubicle in the morning. Literally, his job depended on... The outcome of that game. How I mean, do I'm you not saying asleep? I'm not saying it's kind of right. I just think he's telling the truth. I think he's because I don't think he would say that if it I mean, wasn't I don't true. Either I believe him. I yeah, just, I believe him. I just find it unbelievable that the coach of the team who got in the playoffs because of Daniel Carlson wasn't watching Daniel Carlson <laughs> kick the field goal. I genuinely think that he's wired so differently that his coaches were going to show up to a meeting to plan for their first preseason game. Whether <laughs> like like it was literally like we're showing up to either plan for the playoffs or the next preseason game. Yeah, cuz he tomorrow. said he had a work day ahead of him no matter what. He said I have yeah, a work day like, ahead of me. I assume that like Mike Tomlin's just that guy that's like what is he doing Monday morning if the Raiders take a knee instead of Handing it off to Josh Jacobs for ten yards and kicking a field goal. Well, they're doing the they're doing the locker cleanouts. Well, I assume what he's doing is he's going. These are some wide receivers in the fifth, sixth, and yeah. seventh round that <laughs> yeah. I'd like to turn into uh, all pros. And these are some linebackers from the second and third that I'd like to turn into wrecking forces. They're uh, cleaning out the lockers, and he's talking to the media because the day after the last loss, that's what they do. Fifteen points. How are you assuming? It's not going to possibly end in a tie in 15. I I will say those first couple drives by the Chargers, oh, 15 is an insurmountable lead. (laughs) But you've seen the Raiders play. Yes. Mike Tomlin's seen the Raiders play. He lost to them. Like, terrible team. How are they in the playoffs? Watch. Why? Because you have Roethlisberger and coaches who fall asleep? 
they're terrible. And every time I've watched this team play, I've been like, that's the worst team I've ever seen play football. The he, worst that I've ever seen play football. And somehow they, they're in the playoffs. They cut away. The last time the Chiefs played, played Pittsburgh, they cut away to watch Derek Carr take a knee because it was more competitive <laughs> than watching Ben Roethlisberger fumble around for the football. All right. You know, yesterday, Derek Carr confirmed that the job is done. Yeah, the job is done. He confirmed oh, yesterday God. because when he talked to the media yesterday, talking about the matchup with Cincinnati, he was like, you know, they already beat us once. They got us once. And he said, there's no pressure on us. That's yet another example for you. The job is done. There's no pressure on them because the job is done. That Everyone knows, even Derek Carr, they can lose to Cincinnati by 30. Job is done. Successful season. He can walk into the press conference and say, checked that box. <laughs> Played in a playoff game. Checked that box. Nobody said anything about winning a playoff game. Just play in a playoff game. Checked that. Box. I mean, you think the job is done. This was obviously a layup quote from a quarterback who already lost to the team and is an underdog. Yeah. It's an, I mean, this is what they all would say. You think no pressure on us. You all think the pressure there's no on pressure on the Raiders? Not much. I mean, they're going on the road and they're what six six and a half point underdog, and they're not supposed to win. I don't yeah. know how much pressure's on them. If if you're saying the job is done, there's no pressure yeah, on them. No, not at all. I don't think going into the game there's any pressure on the Raiders. Now, if they're up fifteen, yes, in the fourth quarter, yes, then there's pressure to fill. If there's at it any out. point in this game where they have a sizable lead, right? They go up seven nothing, whatever, in the first quarter. But like, if there's any point where oh, they're up. 10 nothing, right? They're up 14 to 7 late in the game or something or 28 to 21 late in the game. Like if there's at any point where you're like, "Oh, Raiders are not far away from closing this thing out," then they're going to be under some pressure to actually finish this one. But leading up to the game, nah, there's no pressure on the Raiders. None at all cuz the job's done. Right. It's all done. It's all done, Ed. Now, I have an important question for you. Do you believe Darren Waller's 100%? I do not. He had he was out far too long to me to be 100% now. Two catches, 22 yards against the Chargers. He did play 78% of the snaps, so it's not like they were limiting him to half the snaps or something like that. Normally, if, you know, before the thing he was playing over 90% of the snaps, but 78% of the snaps. Uh Carr said yesterday there's some rust in terms of his connection with Darren Waller, right? Like uh, I don't know, their chemistry together, there was some rust in that game. But I do wonder how much like Darren Waller decoy this week, sort of the same conversation we had or Darren Waller actual factor in the passing game for the Raiders. Cause the interesting thing is the chargers didn't really give up anything to Waller or Renfro, right? Renfro had a touchdown obviously, but six catches for 35 yards between the two of them. Right. Like you'd, you'd almost guarantee if you play the Raiders and Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro combined for six catches and 35 yards, that you win. Like that's like, yeah. you'd be like, Oh yeah, we're definitely winning that game. Cause what is Zay Jones going to have 116 yards, but they didn't win. And so I am a little bit curious if basically Cincinnati can do the same thing, like take Waller and Renfro out of the equation. And I assume win the game, I assume take Waller and Renfro out of the equation well, they're and winning not, the game and not have the worst PI call in right. the end zone right. that hands the Raiders yes. a touchdown. Basically like I, I assume the, the Bengals win if that happens, but I also don't assume they're going to do that. I have to imagine one of Renfro or Waller has a big game. More like, so, I think Renfro. Yeah, like they're not having, you're not holding those two to 35 no. yards combined. Like no. that's, 
impressive if you do that. So Renfro still had the two touchdowns. He did. Yeah, it was two, wasn't it? That's yeah, he right. Had two touchdowns. Yeah. So good in the red zone. How are they bad in the red zone with that guy? That's he's a great like question. the best route. He's, I mean, like he's the, the best, best short he's one of the best route short runners run in the entire right. NFL. Like we've seen cover him. plenty of videos of him just like, yeah, I'm going to fake six ways and then be open. The first touchdown, that route he ran, I think he's uncoverable. Yeah. I really do. He is. The, the very first touchdown. <laughs> Wait, what week was it they they threw it to the back pylon for Hunter Renfro? Do you remember that? No. It was like two or three weeks ago. I'm like, what are you doing? It's Hunter Renfro. Right. <laughs> no, but he's that, that first Calvin route he Johnson. ran. Didn't he almost catch kind it? Of the short, yes, he almost catch, catch it. Yes. Kind of the short cross. I mean, you can't cover him on right. that. If you're one-on-one, you can't cover him. How, it, how are they bad in the red zone? I don't understand. Just throw it, just throw it three <laughs> times to him. And when just, Waller's 100%. Yes. Just just make sure, bring in like an extra blocker, bring Foster Moreau in or something, bring in an extra blocker, protect Carr, and just let Hunter Renfro freestyle until he gets out. Were their get percentages open. better in the red zone last year? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think they were slightly worse last year. Oh, I was going to say. I think they might have gotten better. That's too bad. I was going to give a lot of credit to Big Wit. Oh, my God. You're the, the blocker. Worst. You know the blocker. that, right? Um, all right, let's see here. A blocker. You're, I, yeah. You're no fun. You know that, right? So this year, oh, here you go, Ed. If we're just doing touchdowns, the Raiders scored a touchdown on 52% of their red zone drives this year, 27th in the NFL. Last year, they scored a touchdown on 54%. There you go. what I tell you? Of their red zone drives. what I tell you? 25th. What's the difference? In the NFL. Did Jason Witten have a catch in the red zone last year? I think he had one. Because we made a big deal about it in the on the show after the, the day after the show, we made a huge deal. Did about we it. make a big deal or did you make a big deal? No, no, we, we no, y'all, y'all talked about it. Y'all talked about Bidwit, Bigwit getting his catch. Let's see, absolutely. Let's see if I can find this quickly. Here we go. Jason Witten in the red zone last year. Six targets, four catches, oh! sixteen yards. Four catches. Yeah. Monster. Look at him and two touchdowns. Okay. Now you got to go back and you got to you got to go back and apologize. He had two touchdowns off four catches? In the red zone. That's not that good, Ed. Most people, everything they catch in the red zone is a touchdown. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, it's it's the red zone. Like, (laughs) last year, Travis Kelsey had 13 red zone catches. Nine were touchdowns. So, you know, when you catch it in the red zone, you're kind of expected to score. That's what happens. So, there you go. But we need more, uh, do we need more Jason Witten? Are you suggesting they'd be better with Jason Witten? I always I always suggest people are better than <laughs> Jason Witten. No question about it. I and and I obviously the numbers prove it true from last year. Fifty six percent to fifty four percent, two touchdowns off six targets and four catches. No. Didn't happen. Not real. I will say Cooper Cup had thirty seven red zone targets. Oh, God. Hunter, I, Ren, Hunter Renfro had twenty three this year. He had nine touchdowns in the red zone. I survived a week in my fantasy league where Aaron Rodgers law only like what they scored through the Packers as a team scored three points and a week where Mac Jones threw the ball twice coming so. up next. Jason Fitz joins the show. He plays the fiddle and is friends with Sarah Spain and you are not. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Jason, do you even believe it? Do you believe the Raiders are getting ready for a playoff game? 
I mean, no. I don't think it's sunk in yet. Like, I can't I can't believe we got here. I can't believe how confident I was early in the season, how wrong I was about that, how uh, much confidence I lost late in the season, how wrong I was about that, and where we sit right now. Like, I certainly thought that the Colts were going to beat them, and uh, I frankly believed that the Raiders had a real shot against the Chargers, but the football gods wouldn't let me have nice things. So we sit here right now, and I can't believe this is where we are, and it's a huge opportunity for this team. It's just incredible to think as much – if I'd made a laundry list of everything that happened this year, some of it far more important than football, and then I presented all of it to you in July and said, but the Raiders win 10 games and go to the playoffs, you slapped me in the face and told me I was crazy. Well, I mean, it hasn't <laughs> sunk in because watching your Twitter the other night, you still might be drunk. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure I should have been on air the next morning with Sports Nation. In fact, I'm, I'm 80% sure I shouldn't have been. But, you know, it's, a, it's okay. Like, that's part of the fun of it, I think. The great thing is that at least everybody has embraced it. You know, nobody came back and said it. But I'll, I'll be honest, y'all, I was struggling. Like, covering the national championship game is one of the things I'm proudest I get to do at ESPN. And that whole digital show, I was sitting there, I was like, just somebody just murder me. Just throw me off of this ledge and let's get through this show because I feel like death. And that was 24 hours later. Ed, Jason asked this on Twitter. Uh, should he be drinking after the Raiders score or after the Raiders give up points? What do you think the right answer to that both. is? Both. <laughs> yeah, the, the answer quickly became both. And what's great is that, like, I, I mentioned on Twitter, but, like, so much of the ESPN family came out to support me, and I genuinely support me. And everybody listening knows that guy in your friend group that thinks it's cute to show up to that game and troll you the entire time. The fact that everybody that I worked with came down to make sure that, like, they wanted to see and celebrate that moment with me. But the problem is they all wanted to drink with me, too. So, you know, it was like, hey, don't worry. It's just a touchdown. Plenty of game left. We have a drink. And then it's, all right, touchdown. Let's get a drink. So before you know it, that game going to overtime was not good for my insides. All right. So we've asked this question the last few days. Tyler's very, very staunch in his opinion about this. Very simple with the Raiders. Is the job done? Oh, yeah. Mm. This season's a win, but the job's not done. That, oh. that, that, you, that's a contradiction. Oh. You can't say those back to back. That's a contradiction. Uh, if I if I was Mark Davis today, I would bring everybody in that building back and give them another opportunity because I think you've earned it when you get to ten wins with the season they've had. I think it's obvious that the players in the locker room love playing for Rich Basaccia. There's an obvious camaraderie with this group, and I know there's roster turnover every year. It changes some of that, but something special has happened this year that is unbelievable to me. So I personally would run it back. Uh, I think what's happened so far is it, it has made a, a much difficult, much more difficult to have the yap butt and answer with a thing like Harbaugh, for example. If the Raiders win a playoff game in Cincinnati, then I do believe everybody comes back and it's without question. So if I'm Rich Passaccia, the one thing that, you know, when everybody was asking me about should the Raiders play for a tie, if you're Rich Passaccia, the, the motto is not just tie, baby. It's just win, baby. And everything you're doing is an audition for the guy that's sitting up in the, in the press box watching and for the guy that's sitting up in the owner's suite watching. That guy needed to see aggressiveness. And Rich Passaccia, who I think early on in his play-calling sort of style as a coach and what he was allowing, was particularly conservative. We saw over the last few weeks he was less of that, had a little bit more reckless abandon, and I think he came out and showed, hey, I got the you-know-whats to make the call and do the thing that we need to get done to get to get the win. I think that was a big statement for Coach. Are you telling me you would have criticized Rich Versace if he had played for a tie? I wouldn't have, but if I'm the owner, do I want a guy that's played for the tie because it's a sure way into the playoffs, or do yes. I want a guy 
They come no. See the thing yes. of it is, we say, we say yes until you know until that time puts you in Kansas City and it's a bad matchup and all of a sudden you're out right away. But the other side of it is like because it worked, we have the beauty of hindsight because you got the win and you eliminated a rival. Now you've done all of that in a way that makes everybody say hell yeah. Risk versus reward on that. Like the Raiders have very little risk in going for the win and a ton of reward at the end of the game as opposed to let's say. You know, going forward to fourth and one on your own 19-yard line in a game that's still close, what are you doing? You're extending a drive early on. You're not changing the outcome of that game, likely. likely. So risk versus reward there for Staley was stupid. Risk versus reward and going for the win at the end, was that was absolutely what Versace was going to have to do. All right, he seems – I mean, I don't think there's any question. He's more comfortable in the role than when he first started. That That makes sense for all reasons. He is more aggressive now. Do you think he got to points like, you know what, I'm probably the interim, so let's just go for it? Or do you think he is more comfortable with Olsen and these packages that he always talks about, whether it be fourth down or, like you said, going the other night? I mean, which is it? Is he just saying, I'm probably not getting this job, let's go for it? Or do you think that she's kind of grown into the role? I think it's the first, and I think that, like, this is the biggest difference between what we saw from the Raiders a month ago versus what we saw now. And I was thinking about this covering the Natty uh, with Michael Oleg Jr., and, and I asked him about Georgia versus Alabama, and he used a phrase, he said, is, that, that is used in locker rooms. So it's not just fans, and it's called the quicksand. And the quicksand is, here we go again. And if you're Georgia, you're going to have to survive a moment against Alabama and pull your way out of the quicksand. It's what I didn't believe Georgia would be able to do, and they started particularly slow in that game and did it. They pulled themselves out of the quicksand. And once you've done that, man, now you can do anything. You feel like a superhero because you finally got over the one thing it was holding you back. To me, the Raiders sort of had this, this moment where they realized it feels like the entire team realized, hey, nobody believes in us. This thing has already gone to hell all year. This season looks like it's going to do exactly what the last couple have done. What do we have to lose? Let's just, they're playing looser and more aggressive as an entire unit over the last month because it feels like all of them have a case of the, you know, efforts. Like that's the, the best way I can describe it. There's a cockiness and a confidence to the – all right, I got nothing to lose, and it's one of the reasons why, even though I personally think the Bengals are a tough matchup, I keep looking at the way that the Raiders are playing right now, and I'm saying there's no pressure on the Raiders on Saturday. There's a ton of pressure on Cincinnati playing at home trying to get their first playoff win since 1991. 1991 since the Bengals won a playoff game. Like That stuff equals pressure. If you're the Raiders, every single week has been a backup against the wall. You lose a game, you're out for the last month, and it hasn't deterred them. They played just fine, so... I, I think that Bisaccia and his looseness at this point is echoed by the entire team. He's found a way to make everybody feel more comfortable just saying, screw it, let's go do what we do. All right. If you are the Raiders right now, you have offensively Darren Waller, who might not be 100%, Hunter Renfro. How good are you feeling about this offense, and how well do you think they've actually performed the last four weeks, even though they've won four games? The offense has been pretty good given the limitations. I, I mean, I, I love Zay Jones as much as the next guy. But if most of us were looking at Zay Jones as your true number one, remembering that Hunter Renfro is a slot receiver, if most of us were looking at it and saying, hey, got a great slot receiver and a great tight end, but no true number one, I think it really it, it's an, an interesting thing for offenses to have to deal with. The difference over the last month is that the Raiders have run the ball better. And the way the Raiders are built right now is very simple to me, on offense and defense. They're built to be selectively aggressive and keep the game close. So they might give up a huge play defensively, but they're going to try and hold you to a field goal, and that's considered a win. Offensively, they're going to try and hold the ball as long as possible. They're going to try and grind the ball down. 
They're going to try to limit possessions, and they're going to try not to make a big mistake. When they're aggressive, they're going to try and pick and choose those moments. Now, uh, amazing that they've lost the turnover battle so many weeks during this win streak and been able to survive it. The defense has played better than I think they get credit for because of the numbers. The statistics don't bear it out. But I look at this Raiders offense particularly and say, okay, you have two guys that might be uncoverable, but you're still going to have to run the football to win. And that's the path in Cincinnati. Like You're going to have to hope that you have long, long drives that sustain and that you wear the Bengals down over the course of a game and that Josh Jacobs can do what he did against the Chargers. And by doing all of that, you limit the amount of time that the Bengals are on the field with the ball and you're going to try it like you have a much better shot of winning a 17-13 game than you do of winning a 42-38 to game because, man, that's a lot of points to have to put up. Do you want it snow Saturday? I, well, that's a really good question. Uh, I, if I could have anything on Saturday, I'd have just torrential downpours that are unmanageable because <laughs> that slows down Jamar Chase. Like, that's it for me. Like, that's, like Jamar Chase, the, the, here's where the Raiders' defense has struggled this year to me the most is when they face an offense that does two things incredibly well. So if, they, if you're facing an offense that can both kill you dynamically with the run and kill you dynamically with the pass, they, they've struggled. They've given up a lot of points. So knowing that they can only take one of those two things away, I'd love for the elements to take the other away. That's, you know, and everybody's sitting here talking about the Raiders not playing well in cold weather. Can somebody provide me the record that Jamar Chase has? In snow games, because I'm pretty sure they didn't play a lot of those at LSU. So, like, I, I mean, I think the cold's going to slow everybody down. But if the cold and the rain could actually impact an offense, I'd rather take the. Uh, I'd rather cut the Bengals off of the knees. All right, I got a college football question for you. Is the key to beating Nick Saban in Alabama to have a head coach with a cartoon character-like name, like Kirby, Jimbo, or Dabo? Oh. That's a really strong analysis. I'm going to go with that from now on because that's about the only path I can figure it out. That's, I mean, well, the key to that is also making sure that, you know, Alabama's without their top two wide receivers. I'm taking nothing away from Georgia, by the way. But, you know, Kirby Smart uh, deserves a lot of credit. I think this is a great moment for Georgia football. Uh, but, yeah, next year I'm going to bet on, bet on anybody with a, with, a, like, with a clown-ish sort of name. So, you know, maybe who who else would be on that list? There's like, not many. Is, There's not many. Like Ed Ogeron was on it because he is a cartoon character, not because of his name. So yeah. Uh, well, what if what if uh, Gun like what if Mike Gundy just goes by last name? Like he just makes him Gundy. Like yeah. goes one name, goes full share, yeah. and all of a sudden yeah. he beats Saban. Like Didn't, doesn't have to be the goes, first name. Yeah, just Gundy. Uh, yeah. He's I mean, got, I mean got, maybe he just goes share and legally gets rid of the first name. Mm-hmm. Becomes just Gundy, Gundy the Clown, and then like, bam, we're, we're good. That that feels like a strong. That's a strong clown name. All right, he's Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, as always, we appreciate you, it. Uh, I hope your liver survives a playoff game. Uh, not likely, but I'll do my best. Uh, I just uh, thanks for Twitter for not cutting me off. Uh, that that's the best part of it. <laughs> thanks, Jason. <laughs> so there is Jason Fitz, who spent the entirety of Saturday or Sunday night. Drinking while his team actually clinched a playoff yes. spot. And he tweeted each drink. He did. He did tweet each drink. All right. Coming up next, Rob Gronkowski. He's the best. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. How much do you oh, enjoy awesome. that Rob Gronkowski is not only aware of of how many catches he needs to get his uh, incentive that pays him a million dollars for so many catches, 
but that he is talking to not only coaches and other receivers, but Tom Brady on the sideline. I mean, like, Tom, I, ne- I need one. <laughs> <laughs> There's never been anyone like him. Tom, I need it's one. Terrific. <laughs> a Millie. Where were they going? Kansas City? To the city. Just, oh, to the just city. the city, the city in city. general. Okay. All right. yeah. Rob Gronkowski. He's great. I love that He's the guy. best. Um, all right. Do you want to know about maybe the worst refereeing you've ever seen? Okay. So we're going to the world of soccer. Uh, Africa, the continent of Africa, has its big tournament. It starts, I think, today was the first day, right? Mali playing Tunisia. So soccer games are 90 minutes, right? We're aware of this. Yes. The referee yes. blew the final whistle at the 85-minute mark. And the team that was losing, Tunisia, was looking around saying, wait, what? <laughs> like, they didn't even get stoppage time? They're like looking at their watch. He blew it at the 85th minute. So eventually they yelled, and like, what are you doing? It's they We only played 85 minutes. So they kept playing, right? The ref was like, oh, my bad, I guess. And they kept playing. And then the ref blew the full-time whistle again before 90 minutes was up, like 15 seconds before 90 minutes was up, right? Right. So didn't play the full 90 minutes, which you have to. And there was zero stoppage time. Now, referees can determine that there's zero stoppage time. That is at the discretion of the referee. But he blew it 15 seconds before they even got to 90 minutes. And apparently there were multiple VAR checks. There was a red card handed out. Like there was clearly stoppage time. Supposed to be stoppage time. Probably a lot of stoppage time. And he blew it with 15 seconds left. And the Tunisia coaching staff lost its mind. Like running at the refs, yelling at the refs. They've determined they're going to replay the last five minutes of the game. They're going to put the clock at 85 and send the teams back out there to replay the end of that game. I like that. I guess. I it's like a little that. weird to be like, all right, well, we're replaying everybody the last five minutes. Everybody warm up, stretch it out. <laughs> Stretch it out. We're going to play five minutes. And do, do they going to add the stoppage time or no? I assume so. I would assume they, they'd they go back. They can probably figure out. They can probably estimate it. Well, yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the thing. Like, when what's su- supposed to happen? Like, the referees, as the game is going on, are kind of, you know, keeping track a little bit of, okay, that was a stoppage. That took, like, when it's a a goal or a red card or a, you know, replay review, not like, Oh, the ball went out of play, but like when there's like a big moment that stops the game right? for like a minute or so, the refs are, you know, sort of keeping track and they're like, all right, there were like four big stoppages. So that's like four minutes, right? That's kind of the, the thought process there. So I'm fascinated why this referee had zero stoppage time. Yeah. Like, I mean, what's with this guy's watch. It's also fascinating that he blew the whistles early, yes. but like, it's fascinating that he had zero stoppage time. I don't know. It's just unless he thought the 85th minute was the 90th minute and then they played an extra five minutes and he was like, well, that's five minutes extra. It's just it's one of the worst refereeing things you'll see where they literally cheated out of time that they should have gotten to play. I was far more interested in your story here about if Reese Witherspoon has fake chickens. Yeah, Reese the Witherspoon. Actress, Reese Witherspoon. Did you see her tweet? In the near future, every person will have a parallel digital identity. Avatars, crypto wallets, digital goods will be the norm. Are you planning for this? No. No, I'm not. Do you think she has fake chickens? No. It appears she might. She's got to have fake chickens. If not a fake horse. Yeah, she's got to have fake chickens, right? Seen her in movies on horses. Yeah. What movie? I'm just visualizing. You're just yelling into the void over there. 
I'm visualizing Reese. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, well, I haven't seen her movies. We have like with chickens. two minutes left in the segment. I didn't want to ruin it. You already ruined it. Okay. Yeah. What are you talking about? But you need a digital avatar, Ed. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to go to that space. How would you feel if I told you that we have sold a digital avatar to somebody else? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. You're selling yeah. chickens and horses that don't exist. Yeah, like we bought and sold digital avatars. That people want? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> they go for a lot? <laughs> um, A few thousand dollars, yeah. <laughs> Who is spending a few thousand dollars on a digital avatar? <laughs> you are into a world that I can't comprehend with how many people spend a fortune on now digital avatars and fake animals that don't really exist but so like great. run on a screen. Just wait. There's a, there's a new NFT we're trying to buy that hopefully we'll get next week. If we get it, just wait until I get to explain this one to you. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. They're not coming up with something else. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. always something else. Every day there's something else. <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. I, I just, I, I, I'm, I, Jared and I have talked about this off the air about who exists in this world that spends this much money on what you're talking about. We have bought and sold digital avatars and, and digital land. Digital land? Yeah. It's, gonna, it's supposed to produce. Where does the land exist? It's to, digitally. It's supposed to produce digital resources for your digital avatar. Oh, <laughs>